Dear friends in Christ, as we continue our series, How to Overcome Temptation, we're going to look at some warnings that God gives us in history. Now, you look around in this world, you'll find warnings all over the place. If you uh, stop to fill your car with gas, you could probably spend the entire time your tank is filling reading the various warnings on the fuel pump there. Well, indeed, gasoline is a cause of concern. It's very flammable. It's also toxic. Um, So, you know, we probably do need some warnings. Of course, then there are the more famous one, you know, that came from the uh, McDonald's lawsuit. Danger, the coffee in this cup may be hot, and a few other warnings that go down there. Owner's manuals and, you know, some electronic stuff. I open the owner's manual and flip through about three, four, five pages of warnings and cautions before you ever get to the part that tells you how to use it. Uh, And then, of course, there are the more frivolous ones, things that parents tell children to warn them. I was told that every person gets 10,000 words per month. If you reach the limit, you couldn't physically speak until the next month began. All my dad had to say was, careful, you're already at 9,000 words, and it would shut me up. Would that worked on you? I don't know. Or I told my kids that if they didn't behave while waiting in the drive-thru line, they'd get a sad meal. Would that work? I don't know. Well, as we, as we look at these things... You know, there are many warnings. Some of them are from a frivolous, unnecessary. Others are very serious and point out things that maybe we wouldn't otherwise be aware of. But our God is today going to tell us some warnings of the most important and heaviest kind. Warnings that about some real people who didn't listen to God's warnings fell into sin, and, well, many of them are suffering eternally because they didn't listen to these warnings. Some of the most serious warnings that you will hear in your whole life. Um, And the temptation not to heed these warnings is strong. We have a sinful nature that wants to go that way. The world is pulling at us, tempting us. There are easier ways. There are more enjoyable ways to live life than, than to follow these warnings. We need to consider God's warnings. So, we'll consider some words from Paul. Paul, uh, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the letter to, uh, two letters to the Corinthians. That is, to the congregation in Corinth, in Greece, right on the isthmus that connects the Penelope in the south and the north. Uh, And these are some of the words he wrote there. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered In the wilderness. Now it is clear here, as it is in many places of scriptures, 
that the descendants of Israel, or Jacob, his other name, enjoyed a very special, close relationship to God. Not as if, as if that God ignored all the other people in the world. There were pockets of believers. He sent uh, prophets to them from time to time. Uh, <clears throat> but he wanted to have a special people that would be the nation that would bring the Savior that he promised into the world. So first he called uh, Abraham to leave his country and to go to a new country, a new place. And that was Canaan uh, to start. And then from him would come this new nation. Of he waited there 25 years before he had a son, one son who would be the next uh, in line to create this nation. Uh, but early in the history of this creation of this nation, there was a great drought in Canaan, and the people of the descendants of Israel at that time, Jacob, that would be Abraham's grandson, went down to Egypt to live to, so they could have food. They were welcomed at that time. But they grew greatly, and Israel and, and Egypt started to fear these people and put them under slavery, a very oppressive form of slavery, forcing them to build cities and whatever else they wanted. And then God called Moses, and we just heard that call, to lead these people out of Egypt to the land he had promised to Abraham, where Abraham originally was, or was, Abraham was called to live. And the events described in this reading that we're considering here take place on that journey. And that journey itself lasted 40 years. Not because it took that long to go, but because of the stubbornness and the unbelief of the people of Israel. Uh, God led this huge group of people there could have been as many as two million of them, with a pillar of fire at night, that must have been quite a sight, and a pillar of cloud during the day, which there would have been quite something to see because this was arid desert. Sinai is, well, I lived in Arizona, and I've always described it, Sinai, uh, Sinai would make Arizona look uh, luxuri uh, luxuriant. But... Uh, because there just was nothing there. But cloud during the day, fire at night. So there was a way they could follow and know where God wanted to lead them. When they were boxed in after Egypt decided to pursue them by the Egyptian soldiers on the one side, God told Moses, strike the sea, and the Red Sea parted. And Israel walked through on dry land. And then after the other side, the sea closed up over the pursuing Egyptians, and they were saved. They got to Mount Sinai, or Horeb, that Mount Moses was called on, saw God, or heard God speak. When there was no food in the desert, God started raining down manna from heaven every day for 40 years. When there was no water, he caused water to come out of rock so that they could have something to drink. When armies would attack them, God would fight for them. No one could overcome them. Uh, this was a, quite a sight. Quite a thing that God was doing for these people. 
brought them together, baptized them in a way, into Moses as leader and into himself as, a, as his people. He led them, he provided for them, he defended them. <clears throat> but we still read. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. It was only within weeks of this journey starting and God treating them in a special way that they turned against God. They decided not to listen to him. They had Aaron make them a golden calf and they worshipped that golden calf rather than God. They, they complained about the Lord and, and Moses' leadership. They uh, turned against him. We have to see, you know, the special treatment that they received. There's no guarantee that people will continue to follow him, being baptized into him, together like these people. No, the, the truth is that those baptized into God or into Christ can fall. Now, we enjoy a special privilege before the Lord. We have been baptized into his name, into his family. Here we have this beautiful baptismal font to remind us of that wonderful baptism with water that God uh, did to bring us into his family. Our sins are wiped clean. He has declared us holy in his sight. He has made us members of his family. He has promised us a place in heaven. That is definitely special treatment too. But it is possible for people once baptized like this to reject the Lord and turn against him. Uh, <clears throat> so we continue with what Paul is writing here. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by destroying angel, the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Sometimes we read this list of sins that the people of Israel committed on their way to the promised land. We wonder how could they do these things? Uh, the golden calf or whatever. Then we remember things, you know, uh, you know look at the, the, adult, uh, the idolatry after they worshipped. They got up and indulged in revelry, we read. read. Now, uh, the ESV, another translation, actually translates this more bluntly. They practiced sexual immorality, uh, which is an interpretive translation, but probably was true. Uh, you think of spring break on the beaches of Florida. What happens there? There's no golden calf there, but the worship of physical pleasure takes over. They get into drunkenness and drugs, and then there's sex, sex among people who are not married. 
This is what happens when people worship pleasure. And then we read that later, the, some of the Israelite men, in another case, they were up against near the Moabites, and some of the Moabite women came out and seduced the Israelite men to come and have sex with them, leave their families and wives and children and go over and just to have the pleasure of sex with them. Uh, <clears throat> the, all these sins, they anger God because they harm people. Uh, <clears throat> God has made these laws for to pr protect us from such things. Cheating on your family hurts that family. Hurts, it hurts you. Hurts uh, the, the uh, <coughs> wife and the children. Uh, even sex before marriage hurts future relationships. Uh, <coughs> and so these people here in the desert, they, many of them fell dead. And God caused them to die for their sins and as an example for those that would come. Other sins he talks about here. Putting Christ to the test. That was when the snakes came. Because they had grumbled against Moses. Uh, and, and Moses was Christ's representative among them. And they, uh, <clears throat> they grumbled, complaining against the way God cared for them. These people, they could eat as much as they wanted every day. Armies could not overcome them. Their clothes and their sandals did not wear out for the whole 40-year journey through the desert. Moses himself was a true, humble leader, ruled justly, but yet these people were not satisfied. They sinned against God. Again, these are sins that not only anger God, but harm people. People that grumble and complain, they can't enjoy the blessings God is putting before them. Uh, now, why did God cause all these disgusting things and consequences to be recorded? The truth is, Israel's sins are recorded for our warning. That's what Paul writes. They're recorded for our warning to bring fear to us. You know, when Martin Luther explains the Ten Commandments, how does he start each one? We should fear and love God that we. Now certainly we want to obey God out of love for him. Love for what he has done for us, love reflecting his own love, that's a, definitely a good motivation to uh, obey and do what God says. He's given us his laws out of love for us. But it isn't just love. Martin Luther says um, <clears throat> we should fear God. Now, we distinguish different kinds of fear. This would be the fear a child has of a parent uh, who can punish him. Or fear, you know, as opposed to a fear of a slave uh, for his master. I sometimes think of it as a you know, fear of uh, fire. 
your fear of a forest fire, if you're in it, you run away, you're totally scared. But every day you turn on a fire on your gas stove, but you still fear that fire, don't you? You give it respect. You uh, don't put your hands in it. That's the kind of fear we are to have of God. Um, so a child, for example, loves his parents and maybe does what they want out of fear, out of love, but also he knows that his parents can and will punish him if he doesn't do what they say. So there's an element of fear that adds to the incentive to do what they say. And so it is with God's warnings, instilling fear in us, another incentive to do what he says. And can we do what he says? Can we resist temptation? Well, let's read on what Paul says. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God will be faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know, oftentimes people, when they sin, commit something they know is wrong, they will make the excuse, I didn't have a choice. I was forced to do it. But we know that is not true. God says he always gives a way out. So we see another truth, that God provides a way out of temptation. Not always easy, though. We can look to the life of the apostles. According to secular history, this isn't in the Bible, so we can't say for absolute certainly it's true, but according to secular history, all but one of the 12 apostles were executed because of their faith. Many of them probably could have stayed alive if they would have renounced Christ. But they didn't. And so they died. Um, doing what is right. Resisting temptation, finding that way out is not always easy. Often is very difficult. Uh, it takes, first of all, faith. Faith that God will help you and see you through doing the right thing. Faith that what he tells you is the thing, the best thing for you to do. We may face uh, ridicule, persecution, maybe even death. But even that is a way out, a blessed way out of that temptation. Um, we may face hardship, deprivation, that maybe we thought, oh, if I would just lie a little bit, I could get out of this. If I would just steal something, then I'd have a little bit of money to, to use for my family. But those are never the way out. We will always be blessed when we do what God says and resist temptation. The blessing may not be immediately evident, but it will be there. And again, it starts with trust in God. Trust that he is telling you the right thing to do. Trust that he loves you, that he will. He has already made the ultimate sacrifice for you to, to save you, to make you his own. And he promises here that there will always be a way out of temptation. So, what now? In laying out 
what happened to the people of Israel in the desert, Paul starts by laying out and, and telling about how they were so well treated by God. They had this special close relationship with him. They were baptized into him, uh, into Moses, into the Lord, in the cloud that led them and through the sea that saved them from the Egyptians. So as we face temptations like the Israelites, let's listen to Paul and, and think about our own special close relationship to God. That one that was forged in the waters of baptism where God took us and made us his own, washed our sins clean, adopted us as his child, gives us a place in his family, a home in heaven. Uh, <clears throat> as you think about, as you look, view temptation, think about that. Meditate on it. Treasure your baptism in, into Christ. But sin can creep into our lives little by little. Maybe that's what happened to the Israelites too. You start with a little sin. Your conscience tells you it's wrong, but eventually you dull your conscience. And that enables you then to do a little bit bigger sin, dull your conscience a little more until you can, you can get to pretty big sins. Uh, <clears throat> but however it happens, it is important for us to stop and to think and to look at it and recognize sin for what it is. We see that you know, it's angering God and that it's harming us. Even though we don't always understand that harm, we trust God. This is what is best. Um, as we look at our text, we recognize, too, that God punishes sin. and We should take that warning. This is another tool that we can use. Recognize sin and God's punishment for us. It can instill fear in us. Our text for today gives us some sins that at first seem so far away, and yet actually are sins that are very common today. You know, partying, excessive drinking, um, and, and drugs, lowers inhibitions, leads to other kinds of sins, destruction of property, and uh, sexual sins, or at least even getting into a lustful mode, which already is sin. Uh, <clears throat> we start... We can easily start worshiping pleasure rather than God when we fall into these things. Failing, you know, grumbling against God too and complaining about the way God is treating you. That's another sin. Complaining about our leaders. That is God's representatives among us. Another sin. Uh, <clears throat> we recognize now, as we do this, we think about, oh, yeah, I have often fallen into some of those sins. And we need to remember at that time, there is a way back. Turning to God in repentance. And he gives you forgiveness for those sins. But he also uh, provides a way out of the temptation. If we just look for it. Um, it may not be easy. It may involve persecution rejection but it's there and it's always better than actually sinning uh, doesn't mean we have to run headlong into persecution or or destruction but we can look and see which is which is the best thing we can do here to 
not sin. Which way has God laid out before me here that would be best for me to live uh, without falling into the sin that is, is before me, that looks like the easier path? Thinking this way is just another tool for resisting temptation. Look for God's way out of temptation. Yes, our God has graciously made us his children through baptism. So treasure your baptism. Our God has graciously given us good laws for us and warnings about people who have uh, broken those laws and what happens. Recognize sin. Recognize God's punishment for it. And while there will always be temptations around us, God does provide a way out. Look for God's way out of temptation. Praise God that he has blessed us in revealing these things to us. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.